Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Thermador at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company Ken and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold-backed IRA or have metals shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or visit buylegacygold.com. Well, if you have a baby, you already know that there's a shortage of formula. If you don't have a baby, maybe you've been reading the stories as people that haven't had kids in years and decades even are weighing in on the baby formula shortage. With the latest on that is our ABC News correspondent, Brian Clark. And Brian, uh, the, the store shelves are largely empty. Uh, you hear these anecdotal stories of someone that may have driven around to, to five or six stores before they were able to find any baby formula. They purchase the baby formula, and then I think about the next person that then they show up, and it's not at that one either. Now they have to go to eight or nine stores before they're able to find it. So this seems to be a real problem with this uh, formula shortage. What's uh, what's our latest on this? Yeah, it's become a national problem from coast to coast. And, and you use a, a good word there, anecdotally, because we had heard for a while, you know, if you, especially if you don't have kids who are using formula, that, man, it's hard to find baby formula right now. But you kind of put it back of the mind until you realize just how vital this stuff is if you've got a a small child or somebody who needs baby formula. So where we are right now is that there is really a nationwide shortage, and a lot of that can be traced back to Abbott, which is one of the big four manufacturers of baby formula in the U.S., having to take one of its uh, facilities in Michigan offline and having to recall uh, a whole bunch of formula that had been made there. That's still not online. So you had a whole bunch of product recalled and nothing new to replace it, no supply coming in. So that's what's uh, caused this problem. Yeah, I know that when it comes to the supply and baby formula, it's a pretty standard uh, uh, supply that they have is demand for baby formula really doesn't fluctuate uh, a whole lot. And so as this plant goes down, my understanding is, Brian, and you can confirm it, that suddenly your, your demand remains the same, but your supply is just plummeted by, as you mentioned, the largest uh, producer, uh, this Abbott. So uh, now what are people doing? They can't get their Similac, so now they're going to, what, alternate brands? And and uh, and it's just everybody's wiping everything out? Everybody's wiping everything out. Um, you know, you, before this, you know, you're not really advised to be switching brands of formula. You know, once you have a baby on one brand, do- doctors advise to, to stick with one brand. Now, obviously, talking to the doctor is the best answer for this, just to try to figure out 
the best way forward amid these shortages, and this is maybe an extreme situation. But, yeah, that's one thing people are doing. Um, there are some things people are doing that are, are worrying doctors, like trying to make this stuff at home, which you should never do because, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, a pretty sensitive thing to make, and you've got to take certain steps that you couldn't do in a home kitchen. Uh, something else people are doing that they're saying do not do is try to dilute it just to stretch out the supply, make it last longer. This is infant formula we're talking about. So, you know, toddler formula also exists. There's no problem with toddler formula, but you can't substitute it for infant formula. So if you have toddler formula, don't give that to your infant instead. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of uh, other problems that this could cause. So, Brian, I'm just imagining Brian Clark, our ABC News correspondent, as we talk about the baby formula shortage. I'm imagining the 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 mother who's, um, you know, I always I always come up with these scenarios in my head. Uh, I'm thinking of the single mom who's working two jobs, has a couple of kids at home, uh, is trying to stay afloat. She's seen the the price of the formula surge. She's cut back elsewhere so that she can make sure that the baby has formula, and now the formula is not even available. She looks at the toddler formula and says, well, something's better than nothing. But you're saying, no, that's not the case. You can't give the toddler formula to the, to the infants. Uh, do, Correct. Is there, is and there, that's I mean, where... Are they completely off? Are they totally different? What's the, yeah, it's what's the a, I think it's a safety and, and nutrition thing where it's just not what, uh, what should be had. One thing uh, that, that is an okay substitute, but again, you've got to talk to the doctor about this. If the baby is over six months old, you can sub in cow's milk for formula. You know, you don't want to do this on a permanent basis, but you could get by with that in the hypothetical you just talked about. Well, of course, you know, if the doctor signs off on it. But, yeah, that's a real problem. And we're seeing the federal government also uh, taking action like WIC. It's the kind of the federal program for lower-income people who have children. Um, they're essentially going to – Abbott is going to keep funding this because Abbott supplies a lot of these WIC programs with formula. They're saying through August they'll give rebates. So you're not going to have to pay for the formula for people in these programs, whether or not it's made by Abbott. So you could go buy whatever you can find, and you'll get reimbursed for it. So that's one way they're trying to keep uh, some people who really need this and maybe don't have the means to pay for it, try to keep them with formula. All right, and Brian, I know you talk with radio stations all day long about this as our ABC News correspondent, but uh, I, I throw out the same question that I see on every single Twitter post anybody's ever made. Uh, why is this such a problem? Why not just breastfeed? Because um, not everybody can. Uh, it's, it's that simple. Some people choose not to. Some people cannot. Some people you know, have jobs that don't allow them to travel or to be home for breastfeeding or to pump a sufficient amount for the baby. Uh, so, yeah, in a, in a perfect world, that's what would be the case. Uh, everybody would do that. Doctors say that's the best way to do it. But, uh, you know, we don't live in a perfect world, and it's just not an option for everybody. How, do we know? I mean, I, I've read different studies that say that it's something like 40 or 50 percent of moms use formula uh, as opposed to the, the other, I don't know, half or 60 percent that, that do breastfeed. But it is a pretty sizable portion we're talking about here. We're, this is not a situation where it's maybe 5 percent. We're talking about a really sizable portion of new mothers that, that use the formula, right? Exactly. And it's becoming, you know, more and more uh, of a thing because, you know, decades ago, there was no formula. So people, they'd breastfeed the baby, they'd give the baby milk. And now that it's become such a vital part, um, that's creating a lot of questions that, hey, maybe there should be, there's some questions today at the White House. You know, we have national stockpiles of so many uh, crucial goods 
Uh, we've heard about this a lot in the pandemic. Maybe there should be a national stockpile of baby formula. Uh, the, they said that's not being discussed at the White House, but I think it's going to raise a lot of questions now that we are so reliant on baby formula. Yeah. Now, is that a, is that a concern about expiration dates on baby? I mean, it's not like toilet paper. You know, if they wanted to stockpile toilet right. paper so we didn't go through, you know, March 2020 again, that'd be one thing. But uh, the formula is edible, so it must have an, an expiry date on it, doesn't it? It, it does. Um, it, it lasts. We're a little bit removed from formula here in this house. So it's it lasts a little bit longer, <laughs> it, like most things, once it's um once it's unopened, you can. It, it's got a decent shelf life. Once you open it, it it's a very short oh. shelf life. So if you have unopened formula, yeah, there's an expiration date, and that's what could complicate, you know, stockpiling it just in t- case times like okay. these. All right. So that makes sense. They could rotate that out if they needed to then uh, in order to keep a, a bit of a stockpile uh, in the future. Any any ideas on how long it may take to get that, that, that factory up and running again, uh, the one that, that, that got shut down because of the FDA investigation? Abbott's saying that, you know, not guaranteeing, but they're saying they could have it up and running again within two weeks, uh, pending FDA approval. But then there's obviously, you know, time after that before it's back up to 100 percent and back out on shelves. They've taken some other steps. They've got more coming in from an FDA uh, registered place in Ireland. They've turned a facility in Columbus into a, a formula production center. And something the FDA says they're going to do next week uh, you can't import breast or uh, formula rather into the U.S. There are very strict uh, regulations just about the way it's labeled and measured, and they're going to ease some of these restrictions. And so that'll allow for formula from what they say are approved countries. We don't know which those are uh, to be imported into the U.S. next week. So that'll add some supply. So the next few weeks, hopefully, we'll see you know the situation get a little bit better. But one of the other formula manufacturers was saying today to Reuters that he thinks this is going to be a problem for the rest of the year. There's going to be some kind of shortage, but hopefully, you know, the critical part passes uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, especially if, like we saw with the the toilet paper stuff, uh, that if people are stockpiling, which they're advised not to do, but if they're stockpiling, that actually makes the the problem worse in the short term, which extends the actual, the amount of time it takes for us to recover on that. So. Uh, I can certainly see why they might believe this This would take a while. Uh, Brian, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for your, your report on this. Brian Clark, our ABC News correspondent out of New York, uh, had been a, a great reporter on that. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. The, Thank you. Yeah, you bet. The, uh, the future of uh, politics uh, could be getting, and I know it's hard to believe, could be getting even more petty. Yeah, shocker. I'll tell you how this is going to play out and why it might be part of a strategy that the parties are using. That is next. Chris Merrill in for John and Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on your iHeartRadio app. You probably have heard in the news updates that the January 6th committee has subpoena, 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 we, subpoena, I mean, they've subpoenaed uh, Kevin McCarthy. I know the word. It's just, I know, but isn't subpoena a dumb word? Subpeony, peena, P-O-E-N-A. I always hate that word. It's a dumb word. Uh, so anyway, they've subpoenaed uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy. What was the other one I got uh, hung up on? Oh, I was doing a radio show and I got hung up on politicization. Politicization. That's a hard Politi- one, too. Politicization, yeah. Politicization. Polit- See, I can't even do it and I know what the word is. Uh, so anyway, they, uh, the, the, um, the uh, January 6th committee subpoenaed uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is the minority leader in the House, uh, the representative from California, um, 
According to uh, Representative uh, Benny Thompson chairing the select committee, uh, the panel subpoenaed McCarthy, Representatives Mo Brooks from Alabama, Andy Biggs from Arizona, who's nuts, Scott, I, I work there, I know, Scott Perry from Pennsylvania, and Jim Jordan from Ohio, a uh, terrible wrestling coach. The move marks a significant escalation of the committee's efforts to obtain information related to the lawmakers' communications with President Donald Trump, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, before, during, and after the attack. Now, as we know, we had some leaked audio of Kevin McCarthy saying that he was going to call the president and he was going to tell the president this, you know, he should resign, that sort of thing. Well, that didn't happen. We know that in the aftermath of January 6th, McCarthy and uh, McConnell did something remarkable in saying that this was on the shoulders of President Trump. They were ready to throw him under the bus. And then shortly thereafter, they suddenly said, uh, did we say it was his fault? We meant not his fault. That's what, it, it just misspoke, meant not. We meant not his fault. So whatever we said before, just it was just, we forgot not. That's all. Right. Okay. So, are they going to show up since they've been subpoenaed? Uh, no. All five Republican lawmakers have declined to voluntarily provide information to the committee. So, will the committee go so far as to hold them in contempt of Congress for not showing up? Nah, they're not going to. No, they won't. Um, and I'll tell you why they won't. As much as they might fight with one another over politics, and especially when the cameras are on them, they're all part of a club. The fact that they issued the subpoenas in the first place is a bit of a slap in the face uh, to the you know the the higher ups in the club. Right now, you, you got to remember, this is like it's 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 like being a, a part of a, a a big organization, and it's it's a very elite organization, and you're in. So everybody's in this big elite organization, and they usually have each other's backs. Not when it comes to the politics. They'll throw mud all day long. But they normally are not going to go through the steps of, of you know the legal process on people. It is a bit shocking that they would subpoena. They're using this legal process in order to capitalize on the political momentum that they think that they have on the January 6th committee. So they go, okay, you know what? We're going to subpoena these Republicans, Republicans whose names have been linked to the insurrection on January 6th, and then the, the plan to uh, not certify the election or to usher in uh, alternate electors or whatever uh, somebody's cockamamie plan was for that day. And there, there were a number of them that day, whether it was to hang Mike Pence or to, to uh, uh, omit certain electors and let in alternates or whatever it might have been. So anyway, the January 6th committee says, let's subpoena these people. And then if they don't show up, that's good. It's good. Now, the Democrats on that January 6th committee believe that they have the upper hand here. They believe that they've outmaneuvered the Republicans. Since they invited them to, to come voluntarily, and the Republicans said no, uh, the Democrats thought, oh, okay, well, now what are we going to do? So they were faced with the, this decision. Are we going to subpoena the House minority leader who's entirely possible that that McCarthy becomes the speaker of the house uh next year totally possible i mean it's uh, well within the realm of possibility are we going to to subpoena him legally require him to show up are we going to take that step it's a pretty bold move or are we going to let it slide that he didn't want to speak to us well the january 6th committee says well we have to do our diligence the whole country's watching us and if we subpoena them and they don't show up 
that means we don't have to show up to other subpoenas. So you have to understand how this plays out. We know that when you have one party that decides to break with history and do something astonishing, uh, the next party, the other party, always looks for the opportunity, the very next opportunity, to do the same thing. So here's what's going to happen. All right. If it if it plays out this way, now the election hasn't been held, and and Lord knows after the the last two elections, I don't make predictions anymore because uh, it's uh, it's it's wild. But since we are in a midterm, and since the president is very unpopular, and not very unpopular, but his popularity is well below fifty percent. So since the president is a Democrat and he's unpopular, and it's a midterm, it is likely based on history here, we're kind of reading the Farmer's Almanac, that the Republicans are going to regain control of the House and likely the Senate. All right? Might not play out that way. It's possible it doesn't, but history would tell us that that is what happens. In fact, it's happened for the last uh, uh, three presidents, I believe, uh, at least the last two. Um, so we, we know historically it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough row to hoe for the, the incumbent party. All right? So... What then is going to happen is the Republicans are going to take over and they're going to do what politicians do and they're going to start calling for a bunch of investigative committees. All right, We saw this the last time Republicans were in charge and they had all the different Benghazi committees and we're going to have Hillary Clinton in here every other week so that we can grill her and try to get our, our picture on TV some more. We see this with the with the Democrats, uh, not even talking about January 6th, but we see them uh, uh, grilling Republicans over uh, different things. And what was your involvement? And when did you know this? And what uh, when was the phone call to Ukraine? And what did the president do with Russia and, and all the other stuff? So now this is just another uh, Senate committee. When the Republicans get back in charge, they've already said that first chance they get, they're going to put together an investigative committee to look into Hunter Biden's laptop. Right? So we they're already planning the charade as soon as they get um, uh, control again. So what will happen then is that the Republicans will take uh, control. They'll put together their their committee on on uh, standing in front of cameras, and uh, they will then feel like, well, since the Democrats subpoenaed us, we'll subpoena them. Since McCarthy and, and Biggs and Jordan and the others are not likely to abide by the subpoena, it will leave the committee with the decision. Do they uh, refer uh, McCarthy, uh, uh, Brooks, Biggs, Perry, and Jordan to the DOJ for contempt of Congress? I'm going to bet you right now that they don't. Again, it is an exclusive club. The performance art that we're seeing right now only goes so far. They're not going to cross the line out of performance art, which means that these Republicans are not going to testify in front of the January 6th panel. They're not going to abide by that subpoena. They're going to basically say subpoenas are worthless and we dare you to hold us in contempt. The Democrats won't. The Republicans will get into the next, uh, they'll win the next election. They'll put together their subcommittee on whatever trumped up charge they want. They'll start subpoenaing uh, Democrats. And the Democrats are going to say, aha, see, you already showed us. We don't have to show up for subpoenas. Ha ha. So the Democrats are actually hoping to get the get out of jail free card by the Republicans. But they're such dopes. If they think the Republicans don't respond to subpoenas, suddenly it's not going to be a big deal if they don't when the Republicans are in charge. But you and I have seen this over and over again. The GOP is just playing better at politics. They have a more active base. 
So they're going to ignore the subpoena. They're going to call the then when the Republicans have control, they're going to call uh, Democratic Congress uh, people to testify. The Democrats are going to say we don't have to follow the subpoena because ha ha us and the Republicans are going to make hay out of that. And they're going to do a better job of it. And all of a sudden, it's going to be all about what are the Democrats afraid of? Why won't the Democrats testify? What Democrats knew what and when? And they're going to beat the hell out of this. And Fox News is going to have this on every report. And OAN, which somehow is still on the air, will have every report on this. And Sean Hannity is going to go on the RADIO and tell everybody about it. And then all the other talk show hosts are going to do this and all the other. And they, they are going to activate their machine. And they're going to win the 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 battle of words on this and the democrats still haven't figured out they don't have the kind of social clout that they had 15 20 years ago not even close all right i gotta take you to space man yeah man i love space stories i found a couple today and i thought oh i gotta talk to you about these i love them they are next it's chris merrill in for john and ken kfi am 640 live everywhere in your iHeartRadio app hey i'm chris merrill in for john and ken uh, pleasure being with you here uh, once again. And you know what I love? Space, man. I love space. Love space stories. Gives me a chance to dream. I love it. When I was a little kid, I had a picture of the solar system on my wall, and I memorized all the planets. And I, I don't know if you ever used any of the, uh, what do they call those? The, the um, oh, the, uh, the mnemonic devices. Uh, and what was it? My very excellent mother just... Oh, man, what was this? My very excellent mother just sent us nine pizzas because Pluto was still a planet when I was a kid. I remember the old days when Pluto was a planet. My very excellent mother just sent us nine pizzas. That was the mnemonic device to remember the first letter of each planet, right? Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Uranus, uh, Neptune, and Pluto. And now it's my very excellent mother just sent us nine I don't know. Maybe she was German. So I, I always loved this growing up. I always had that solar system, and I, I love space. My uh, found out as I got older, uh, my grandparents were still alive, and they still lived in the house where uh, where my pops grew up. And uh, I'd go stay at my grandparents' house, you know, the babysitting or whatever. And they'd say, well, if you're really nice, we'll let you stay in your dad's old room. Right. Otherwise, they kind of closed off that end of the house. It was just a couple of rooms where my, my dad and my, my aunt uh, were otherwise they closed it off. Didn't want to spend money on heat and cooling all that. So okay, all right, I'm gonna be really good and I can stay in Dad's old room. Like that was something special. Whatever. I was a kid. I was dumb. I believed it. But uh, I did. I stayed there. And he had that iconic photograph of uh, the astronaut on the moon. I don't know which astronaut it was. I don't know if it was uh, Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin or from a later mission. I don't have a clue. What is that iconic picture where it's sort of a close up from about the Oh, like the knees up and the the gold visor reflecting the earth in the visor. Uh, such a fantastic photograph from the moon. And that was that was a poster my dad had on his wall, uh, which he was probably a little bit old for that uh, by the time that photo was taken. But uh, he was still in high school, I guess. He put it up on the wall, which is cool. So come to find out, you know, the family had loved this space talk, too. And I just, I, I always, I always loved it, man. I just dug it. Then I remember when I was, I was, uh, it would have been, mm, would have been the eighties, uh, mid eighties. I was watching the old show and, uh, I think Jack Palance was the host. I don't know if you remember this. It was called uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. They did a reboot of this, um, like in the nineties or two thousands. 
Uh, but I, I was watching the show Ripley's Believe It or Not, and I'll never forget that. That was where I first saw the photo of the, the face on Mars. It's a pretty iconic photo, and it looks like there's a face in the surface of Mars. And, uh, and you, I mean, you look at it and you go, oh, my goodness, that's, uh, that's got to be the face. That's, that's a face of, of, of some sort of an alien figure, and it's been, the, the wind has blown the dust away from this face, and there it is. <clears throat> it's also when I learned about a, a term, which I, I, of course, couldn't remember at the time, but I, I learned it years later, called periodolia. And if you're unfamiliar, periodolia is when we tend to see faces in inanimate things. Uh, or anything else that we can attribute to something more familiar uh, on a broader uh, definition where we, we start attributing human features to things that are not human because it helps our brain process it. In other words, you look at the moon, you see the face in the moon, you go, oh, it's the man on the moon. That's just your mind playing tricks on you, saying, oh, it's periodolia. Your, your mind is just trying to, to associate things. The face on Mars, by the way, just turned out to be shadowing on rocks because as the, as the uh, whatever the... the craft was at the time that took that photo as it came around again it took a photo from a different angle and you could see the rocks that had created that that facial like feature but we've got another um it's not periodolia this time but it is similar uh we've got another phenomenon on mars and if you haven't seen this there's another photograph that just came to light um nasa just released this and i swear to you it looks like uh a doorway in the side of a of a hill it's trippy man looks like a doorway uh now one of the things that i know about uh people who are uh ufo enthusiasts is that they tend to let their imaginations get ahead of them often in fact i love the show ancient aliens i love it i love it i don't believe a word that they say but i love it i love how creative they get i love how absurd they can get i love that show and every now and again, I learn something about history, too. It's on the History Channel. Ancient Aliens. It's fantastic. So I was watching Ancient Aliens. I think it was last week I was watching an episode. And they were talking about this, uh, this formation uh, on uh, one of the, the mountains in uh, the state of Washington. And this mountain, I believe it was Washington, this mountain had a very inaccessible area. And as you zoomed in on it with a long-range telephoto lens on a camera, it looked like it had a door. It was remarkable. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't. It was uh, uh, Exploration Unknown. Exploration X. That was the show I was watching. Uh, another History Channel. Similar deal. So anyway, they, they focused this camera on this, and they went, oh, look at that. It looks like a doorway in the middle of a mountain. And there have been a lot of sightings of, of UFOs in this area, and so they were like, oh, this has got to be where they're going. They're going into a secret base in this mountain, and we found the doorway. Because they were able to see this with this, this telephoto lens, the doorway was otherwise very difficult to access. It was on a sheer side of this mountain. You couldn't get to it. So uh, they did. They wanted to investigate closer, so they hired a, a, a helicopter pilot. And a helicopter pilot took them up there, and as they got closer, the hosts were going, oh, my gosh, it's really crazy. Oh, my gosh. And then the helicopter kind of spun around a little. Of course, they had some drama. The helicopter was crashing, and it didn't, but whatever. Uh, as they get closer and closer to it, uh, they go, uh, oh, turns out it was simply shadowing on the side of this, this sheer uh, rock face. But from a distance with this telephoto lens, it looked like a doorway. Similarly, NASA's released this photo of what appears to be a doorway, the sort of thing that you would see in Star Wars. It looks like there is a very obvious 
and we don't know the dimensions, but it appears to be the right ratio, size-wise, for uh, the sort of um, uh, the sort of doorway that you might see in the side of a hill here on Earth. So immediately our minds go, wow, I recognize that. It looks like something I would see elsewhere. Maybe it looks like a back door into a pyramid. Or this, this is where the aliens are hiding out. Or this is the entrance to a cave or something of this sort. So our minds start to go crazy, right? If you look at it, though, it looks like you can kind of peek at it. And I'm looking at the photo. and It's in front of me right now. Uh, they say the uh, Internet is having a field day with conspiracy theories about this doorway. Many party poopers pointing out the door is likely just a sheer fracture, the result of some kind of strain on the rock, uh, breaking part off of uh, part of it off, excuse me, uh, breaking part of it off. If you look at the photograph, there is an area uh, to the left that almost looks like it would be uh, like a like a uh, like a patio wall. Uh, however, right in front of that what looks like a sheer cut patio wall kind of thing, you can see where the rest of that had broken off and is now laying in front of the door. So uh, obviously there was a crack, there was a rift in there somewhere, and it, it fell, this part sheared off, and uh, tumbled out a little bit, leaving behind what appears to be a perfectly uh, cut doorway. However, it is so incredibly similar to the one I just described on this on this uh, uh, alien hunting show, the, the Expedition X, that I'm left going, this is absolutely uh, nothing more than a crack in the rocks and uh, shadows uh, bouncing and, and, uh, and playing tricks on us. But man, I love to dream. I love to dream. Love to look at that stuff and think, ah, oh, there's something else. Something more out there. Something I'm missing. Love it. All right. We will uh, dream a bit more as we welcome in the amazing Tim Conway Jr. It's Timmy time next. Well, the best time of the day is always uh, when Tim Conway Jr. pops in. And then, uh, of course, uh, for the next uh, few hours, you've got uh, the great Tim Conway Jr. That's going to be ushering in a greatness on radio. I'm looking forward to talking with Tim Conway Jr. So uh, we'll uh, we'll look forward to, to joining Tim coming up here at uh, 6. Uh, oh, yes, here we go. You know, there was a story earlier this week which uh, caught all of our attention because it was a massive manhunt, right? This is the, the Alabama escaped prisoner, right? And it was the, the guard that helped him escape, uh, assuming, of course, that they were having a, a romantic relationship, an intimate relationship. Don't know exactly how that transpires where you're a guard for umpteen years and then suddenly you, you fall in love with a murderer um, or an accused murderer anyway. Uh, and you go, oh, you know what? I will throw away my entire life for this guy. It's not like she didn't have chances in the past. But now for something, for some reason uh, in her mind, she said, oh, this is this is a good idea. I think Vicki White was her name. That was the, uh, the, the the guard. They were both named. He was, uh, was it Casey White, if I remember the name correctly? Her name was Vicki White. No relation. But then later when they got caught, he claimed that it was his wife. She took her own life during the, the capture, and he ended up going back to prison. So once again, the, the aider and a better ends up getting the short end of the stick. We've seen this play out before. Like, you know how the story is going to end. We know how this is going to roll, and still, it will happen again. And some other guard knows what the history is. They know how it ends, but for some reason, they always go, well, it's not going to be like that for me. And of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. There's no happily ever after. I think they end up watching Prison Break, right, the old Fox series, and they think, oh, that could be us. Oh, we'll be happily ever after. No, 
It never ends up happily ever after. It doesn't happen. So we watched that play out, and there was this massive manhunt, and we thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to be amazing. Are they going to get away with it? They never get away with it. Usually they're caught within a, a, a few hours. Sometimes somebody will get away for a couple of days. Rarely somebody will make it more than a week, which these guys did. They made it more than a week, and a lot of that came down to they had prepared. Right? She withdrew a bunch of money. Uh, they switched cars. So they had kind of prepared. But it really only took, what, week, week and a half before they ended up getting getting brought back in. Remember the uh, the escape in upstate New York a few years back? Same situation where it was two dudes and one prison guard, and she helped them escape, and they were trying to get to Canada. They were out for, I don't remember how long that was, 10, 14 days, something like that. Um, and then finally ended up getting busted. One of them got shot. In fact, the, 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 the only two prison escapes that I can think of off the top of my head that lasted for any amount of time, it'll be the second time on the show today that I mention this, uh, it was, remember the old Clint Eastwood movie, Escape from Alcatraz? We don't, ever, we don't know what happened to those guys. Uh, we don't have a clue. They just disappeared. They were never heard from again. Uh, many people think that they never made it to land, that they uh, succumbed to the, the cold uh, uh, water in the, 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 the bay there in San Francisco around Alcatraz, uh, but they don't think they don't know whatever happened to those guys. No clue. Um, it's really hard to stay hidden, although when they escaped back in whatever it was, the 1960s, uh, it would have been a lot easier to just change your identity back then than it is now. So that's, that's, that's the, probably the most successful prison escape I can think of. Uh, other than Shawshank Redemption, which was fictional, the other one was. Do you remember um, the Oklahoma? The, excuse me, the uh, the Atlanta Olympics bombing, right? When they thought Richard Jewell did it, and they and they all they were like, "Oh, we searched his house. This guy, Richard Jewell." Come to find out, the guy actually was trying to stop the bomb from going off. Like he 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 caught wind that something goofy was happening, and he tried to stop it. They're like, "Oh, he was nearby. It was him." And they're like, "We searched his house, and we found pornography." Oh, and every and the whole country went, "Oh, he's got." He's guilty. Oh, this guy looks at Playboys. He's definitely guilty. Oh, string him up. And then you come to find out, nope, he's just a normal guy who has Playboys, and he was not the bomber. Well, that didn't seem to matter at the time as uh, the whole country went uh, bonkers. So we find out that the real uh, bomber was Eric Rudolph. Eric Rudolph escaped from prison and was out for like four years. They caught him digging through a dumpster finally. It took four years. Nobody really paid much attention to him, though, in that escape. I think it's because... Uh, the the whole investigation had been botched so badly with the Atlanta uh, Olympics bombing that they didn't didn't really want to bring any more attention to how they had botched things up the first time and then the authorities end up the guy escapes and they didn't really want more attention brought up to how they had botched it well good news i suppose um if you are somebody who likes i don't know maybe you like rooting for the bad guy maybe you like the the chase whatever it is there's another one dude out of uh, the failed republic of texas He's doing life for murder. Um, I don't know how he's only serving life for murder because his murder was with a pickaxe, which in Texas you would think that, you know, that would definitely be a death penalty. Uh, Maybe it was a plea deal or something. Um, He was being transported between two uh, facilities from Gatesville to Huntsville. He was going for a medical appointment uh, in Leon County. The Texas Department of Criminal Justice says that uh, Gonzalo Lopez, who's 46 years old, yesterday overpowered the bus driver and escaped. Two officers were on the bus. All right, this is from ABC News. Two officers were on the bus 
one at the front as well as one at the back. The guy at the back, well, I say guy, but maybe it was female. Uh, the officer at the back was armed with a shotgun. And somehow Lopez, they say, Lopez was somehow able to get out of his shackles and get into the driver's compartment of the bus. See, so, you know, the bus has got like a gate and it has a guard at the front and a guard in the rear. And somehow he gets unshackled and either gets past them or, or disables them of some sort, although that's not being reported, and then gets into the area where the bus driver is. So he got out of his shackles, got into the bus driver's compartment. They're not saying how that happened. Uh, he cut out the bottom of a door that separates inmates and the driver. He used some type of device. They say we don't know what some type of device to cut out the bottom of the door. He was able to overpower the driver. They say there was a struggle. The bus went off the roadway. He tried to grab the, the driver's service weapon. He couldn't get it out of the holster. And, uh, and then during the fight, the bus driver ends up getting stabbed in the hand. And they say punctured in the chest, suffered non-life-threatening injuries. So the, the bus driver did what they could. The question is what happened to the, the other officers. The officer in the back of the bus, they say, fired two shots into the bus's rear wheels. Lopez was able to uh, drive the bus for about a mile with flat tires. Oh, I see. So they're saying that there was a, there was, I see, I read this wrong. What they're saying is that there was an officer in front of the bus, not at the front of the bus, and an officer uh, trailing in another vehicle to the rear of the bus. I see now. This makes more sense. I didn't know how they'd have two officers in the passenger compartment and he got by. Just the same. Dude ends up getting through, gets the bus, gets control of the bus. They shoot the wheels out, and uh, and then he takes off, right? Uh, he said uh, he fled across a cow pasture. Other inmates that were on the bus remained on board. Uh, last we saw him, he did not appear to have a weapon in his possession, but who knows what he might have been able to get. Now, unless this has changed since I prepped for the show, which has been four hours, uh, we may have, uh, may have a con on the run. All right, the great Tim Conway Jr. is up next. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I look forward to the next time. Chris Merrill in for John and Ken. KFI AM640 live everywhere on your iHeartRadio app. Hey, Ken, did you know that gold is the only currency that's held its value since the dawn of money? Well, I did. Thanks to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals, the most trusted name in gold investing. Investing in gold protects you against inflation and gives you a hedge against stock market volatility. Don't leave your retirement to chance. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is where projects come to life. 
Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Monogram at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.